person who's going to try and sweep it under the rug either i mean after all it was out there on everybody's podcast last week for everyone to hear not going to put it aside putting this episode after the first original episode of the cage fantastic idea i'm excited to talk about it so here we go welcome to the brothers truck about my name is matt coming to you from austin and coming to you from planet houston is my brother ken say hello ken Live long and prosper. That's right. I loved uh, this episode. I loved its tie into the cage. I loved that uh, they used the previously on Star Trek. I thought oh, that, that that was, was amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. That was great. And especially great for you who did uh, actually take the time to watch that episode again. I have watched the cage and uh, the menagerie in preparation for oh. watching. Well, good. This. If I have any questions, I'm coming to you. <laughs> Uh, one thing I do want to talk about real quick before we jump into this, because it's also appropriate for this episode and also kind of appropriate for everything else that's going on in um, pop culture and, uh, you know, maybe even politically, too, though I'm not going to get too much into that. I was listening to a uh, podcast called uh, Star Wars Minute. It's one of my favorite ones. And uh, their guest host now, not one of them, but they're one of their guest hosts, uh, you know, was talking about the idea of nostalgia. Right. And specifically, he was talking about The Last Jedi and what that did and what nostalgia did to sort of curb the brilliance of it. Right. Because the biggest complaint about that movie is it's like, I can't believe what you did to my hero, Luke Skywalker. And again, me as a Star Wars fan, I'm like, I walked out of that movie going, I was blown away by that thing. I can't believe it. Uh, Wow. That was just something, you know, I can't wait to go see it again tomorrow to really like take it all in the second time. You know, I didn't walk out, like, blown away. I mean, I was blown away they killed Luke Skywalker, but I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you ruined everything of my life, you know? Uh, so I thought that that was a really interesting point that were he pe- made. Were people pissed off that he died? Uh, people were pissed off that he died, yes, because the, because because in the next movie, then, he won't be able to do whatever it is that they wanted him to do in this movie. Except that's not true. Uh you know, it, it should be clear that he is the Obi-Wan, right? Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan right. died at the end of the second act in, in the first movie. Yeah. I mean, you should have just known going in, well, Luke's the Obi-Wan. I guess, yep. you know, he's going to die at the end of act two. <laughs> but what people were more pissed about is that they feel like his turn, of feeling like out of it, walking away from, you know, the Jedi and the Jedi Order and the Force and everything, they felt like that was an even bigger travesty than even him dying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can understand that. I'm not, I'm not I'm not thrilled by it. Yeah. But like, I don't expect a movie that I go to see to be like, well, what will make Ken happiest? As opposed <laughs> to what will make the most compelling story. Yeah. I mean, exactly. sometimes 
you're going to watch the movie and go, Macbeth, what are you doing? <laughs> Cut it out. Exactly. This is not going to end well, my friend. Exactly. I felt a lot of that recently as I've been watching uh, Game of Thrones. You know, you got that first season and you're, you're just watching Ned Stark going, you're not playing this game very well. Yeah. <laughs> you're being far too honorable, sir. But anyway, I thought that that was interesting. I, and there are then two things related to Trek then I wanted to bring this into. Is, is that uh, my opinion last week about Spock not or having the, uh, the, the the dyslexia, basically, right. the Vulcan dyslexia, was uh, it's not about like, oh, they've changed the character. Because everything right. they've done so far has changed the character. And there's more of that in this one. So that's not my point. I'm not worried that like, oh my gosh, they've completely and utterly changed. For me, it was a more of a point of like, you gave him a disease that goes counterpoint yeah. to everything that he did in the original series. It'd be like, so. you know, giving young Kirk some kind of like fear of open spaces. <laughs> Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got it, you got it. But with that said, part of what makes this episode so great is the nostalgia of like, oh, we're going back to Talos again. You know, we've, we're revisiting the Pike and Vina thing in, in a way that we hadn't before. I think that that's kind oh. of one of the explorations we hit in this episode. So uh, I think, uh, you know, nostalgia, if used right, is great. But trying to put your own nostalgia onto something that's trying to move forward, which, again, Last Jedi, I feel like, is. Discovery is. You know, it's trying to move forward. It's trying to be, yes, it's different from these Trek you know, but that's because it's doing something else. You could also well, politically say that we're trying to do that with the country, too, and some people in the <laughs> political offices are not. Yeah, you, you can't tell the same story over and over again without people being like, you know, and... Myself, I mean, I don't want to watch, as I'm sure I talked about in in the episode where they find out that Culber is the monster, mm-hmm. right? I find a lot of similarities between that episode and um, something in the dark. The what's in the dark? The Horda in the dark. Yeah, the it's the episode of the Horda. What's the name of the episode? Something in the dark. Demon in the dark? Danger in the dark? I don't remember. Anyway, the one with Horda. Yeah. You know, the premise of the episode is that the thing that you thought was a monster isn't a monster, right? It's actually a noble creature just doing normal things, trying to protect itself, trying to, you know, uh, and then in a sense, you're the monster, whether you're the miners or you're the little uh, spore creatures. So I find it very, very similar, right? But it's not the same story, yeah. right? It's the same set of values. And I think these are core Star Trek values, right? That there are no monsters. That, and Kirk says this a number of times. It's, it's the, what we don't know that we fear. And so I, you know, there's no problem with, with me watching a Star Trek episode where it turns out the monster isn't a monster. It's something else. But that story needs to be... It can't be this. It can't be like we visit a mining colony. It turns out that the monster's not a monster. Instead, you you almost kind of have to not see it coming, right? Right. You have to go. Oh, they're doing this thing, and uh, they're going to have to confront some some creature. And of course, mm-hmm. we also see creatures that turn out to just be creatures, like the Magatu, right? Yeah. We don't find out that the Magatu is an intelligent being who you know just longs you know to read philosophy by firelight. And, no, he's a poisonous beast, and he attacks Kirk. In that sense, he's a plot. 
right? He gets Kirk to be with what's her name so that she can do her, her magic on him. In right. this case, you know, the monster not being the monster was the point of the story, as well as doing other things like reintroducing Culber mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, creating this conflict between May, who has worked how many episodes now to get Tilly involved in, in her little quest, only to turn around and be like, oh, yeah, we can't do that quest because it turns out that's Culber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, we're going to like have to explain to you why, yeah, we're not on board with this at all. Mm-hmm. And yet, get your cooperation, because it turns out we need you to help Culber, of all people, get back. Yeah. Right? That was, so there was all kinds of cool stuff going on in that episode, but it, it wasn't Devil, Devil in the Dark. It wasn't yeah. Devil in the Dark. Now, notice how when I'm not thinking about it, boom, it's right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, boom. You know, so that's what you want to do with these kinds of making the old thing new again, right? You need to have a twist. You can't just, you know, go over the same ground in the same way, in that old familiar way. You want to hit some nostalgic notes, but you want to introduce new problems. You want to put a twist on on how we're solving some of these problems. Right. Right. So a lot of what was going on was very familiar, right? Mm -hmm. Especially having watched The Menagerie. Because, for example, those data tapes that we're watching. Kirk calls it out. He lampshades it right away. No ship keeps records this, you know, accurate. Spock, what are we watching? I can't tell you just yet. Okay, well, uh, I don't think we should go on because we don't know what the source of this is. And then it's Christopher Pike who says, no, no, this is accurate. I vouch for this. Yep. Right? This is this is what happened. Okay, well, if, if Pike says it's good, we'll keep watching. Yeah. Although I want to make a note in the record that you know, <laughs> this is really unusual. So the idea that they're projecting to ships, you know, out in the distance, oh, we have been here before, but they're using it in a new and interesting way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I thought it was all exactly what you want when we visit someplace new. It's not, oh, yeah, done this, been here, okay, thank you. Instead, it was new, it was interesting. I'm repeating myself. No, that's all right. No, but, I mean, you hit the nose on the head. It's like... If we're going to take something that we know is nostalgic and move it forward. You know what I mean? Which I feel like is all Discovery has been trying to do. All the naysayers of Discovery, that's their problem. It's like, this isn't Star Trek. It's like, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, and it is, as you were just pointing out, uh, you know, it's the same thing with Star Wars and everything else that's been going on. It's like, no, we're trying to go this way and you're trying to pull us back this way. You're not helping. With that said, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Vina here, because she's a very important part of uh, not only this episode, but the original Cage episode. Um, We find, as I was saying, we find a closeness between them that I'm not sure was on screen during the Cage. Maybe you can disagree with me. Maybe my memory is wrong. But they certainly seem a lot closer in this episode than they were in uh, previous episodes. And maybe this is because over time, Pike has had time to think about, you know, what happened on the planet. Obviously, she's got a closeness to him that he doesn't understand even because, you know, the the Talosians gave him one, or gave her one. But there certainly seems to be a closeness, a a love almost between these two that, uh, again, I don't feel like existed necessarily in the original. It felt more in that original like he kept trying to push her away, like, no, I got to get out of here and you're not letting me do that. So I think what they're doing with Vina 
right, is we know where things end up, right? That the place that Spock is going to bring Pike is going to mm-hmm. be Talos, not just so that he can walk around again, regain his physicality, right? Right. Because as we know from the menagerie, he's trapped a fully functioning mental person in this body that is so lifeless, all he can do is say yes or no. Mm-hmm. We're going to give him back his physicality, but he's also, we see him in that last moment, who walks up the ramp with Vina. They're going to be together. Yeah. Right? And so while he may not have been on board with, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to just forget my ship and hang out here with Vina while he was in the cage, in part because his number one priority was getting out of the cage. I mean, I think there was a kind of interest in Vina, right? And we see what happens when uh, the Talosians decide to bring down number one and the uh, the little red-headed uh, lieutenant. And so, you know, because they're commenting, right? Well, uh, let's see if he's interested in, in the youth and vitality of the younger woman or the strength of number one. Uh, yeah. Hmm, you know, <laughs> so... We know where this is going. He ends up with Vina, right? So in a sense, what they need to do is get us to see why that becomes Spock's go-to choice. I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm giving Pike his physicality back. I'm bringing him back to Vina. This this is how he should live out his retirement. Yeah. It's kind of like a prequel almost to the Menagerie. I also was thinking as I was watching the Menagerie that, so last week, I talked about how I, I didn't really think that Pike's aggressive way of being, you know, jumping in with uh, Burnham in that, you know, riding the, the craft or whatever, and then doing this mission with Tyler was just him being like, I didn't get in the war. I got to prove myself. He's always this way. Right. And of course, last episode, I mentioned what happened on Rigel because I had watched uh, the cage by that point. Yeah. But now having watched, menagerie he did it that's how he ends up in the chair right there's some kind of delta radiation and he throws caution to the wind he rushes into danger he saves the cadets and he ends up exposing himself to lethal radiation because he just keeps going back in right Mm -hmm. so i I think it's part of pike's character that he disregards danger that he's he's basically a kirk because of course you listen to what kirk has to say about pike and it's kind of like oh that's some bad luck right like because, of course, that's what you do. You rush into the danger. You run yeah. toward the sound of the guns. So that's just how a good captain behaves. And it's unfortunate that you paid the price of, of the way we live as starship captains. Yes, absolutely. So when you couldn't hear me, what I said was it's almost a prequel to the Menagerie this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's really because I, I have that note later, too, is that it fills in the blanks of like some of those things. If you're like, oh, well, no wonder why he would go back to uh, Talos then. Much like what you were just saying. I love the oh, uh, before we finish our talk about Vina here, uh, not that might not come up again later. But uh, I did want to say this is that we've discussed in previous episodes about how much the uh, some of the current cast looks like the people they were portraying. You know, uh, right. uh, Amanda looks like Jane Wyatt and, and Pike looks like Pike. There's even that shot at the beginning when they go from the, you know, previously on where it's Pike yeah. to Pike. 
And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's great. That looks great. But I didn't think that Vina looked anything like Vina. No, it was so weird. Didn't. I was and... thinking, like, maybe even if they would have given her, like, the crop tear that she had, you know, that the original Vina had, that might have helped. But I just didn't feel like there was a closeness to them at all. Yeah, I don't feel like they were even going for it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought they thought, yeah, we're not going to. And maybe it was because they tried and they're like, oh, that doesn't look good. You know, yeah. you look like you either look silly in this outfit or um, you look you, you look like uh, so dated, so like inappropriate to the. Whatever reason was, they just decided they decided not to go that way because they obviously didn't. Yeah. So I just thought that that was like a kind of a missed opportunity, but it was what it was. Because I even like when they like messed her up. Although I thought the makeup itself was actually better. uh, You know, she was she didn't have quite like the slumped hump. You know that she had in the uh, the other one. You're like, all right, well, that's too bad. Uh, It was funny too that they also showed Spock's smile. When he saw the, you know, they were like, well, this is it. This is part of canon, because even part of our canon. It was a thing that happened. Uh, which, of course, is funny, because it plays back at the end, too, when we see Spock smile yet again, you know. You know, i I'd seen that in the previews, right? And in one sense, it, it's funny, right? It's, of course, a reference to that other classic TV show, not just Star Trek or uh, I Love Lucy, which is so important in Star Trek lore, but... The Burns and Allen show, right? Good night, uh-huh. Gracie. Say good night, Gracie. Good night, yeah. Gracie. And uh, I don't know why my voice goes down when I do Gracie. Good night, <laughs> <Yeah>, Gracie. <laughs> she had a really high, squeaky voice. But so Spock does that. Say good night, right. Say goodbye, Spock. Yeah. Goodbye, Spock. And to have that done by the Telosians as a way of messing with the heads of Section 31 rather than something Spock really did, I thought was like the best of both worlds. We yeah. get the funny moment in which Spock says something like being overly literal. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, it didn't really happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, but there was, there still was the smile though, when he met Pike, remember when there oh, was, yeah. cause Pike even says, but yeah, that was a funny moment there with the Gracie and uh, the Allen Burns and Allen thing. So anyway, did you notice that as they were getting closer to Talos four, that Spock was actually getting better? Yes. You know, so it was interesting that, like, I wondered if the Telosians were already, you know, started to help him out. But then I wondered, (laughs) well, then why put the defense up? You know what I mean? If they were like, if they knew Spock was coming and they knew why he was coming, then why throw the black hole, you know, thing going? The material uh, deception. Uh, She'd also given him a hypo spray. Mm Mm-hmm. So I... You know, I, I kind of attributed his getting better to being like, well, the hypo is taking effect. Oh, I guess that would make more sense and certainly answer my problem. So uh, Burnham goes out to check, you know, see what's out there because she doesn't know what's on Talos at all. And we have the humming music playing in the background, like the piano. Yep. And as and, we get closer. And she, she sees the plant. Right. And smiles when she when she touches it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so she sees Vina going into the uh, the shuttlecraft. She goes back down there. Yeah. She says that she's a friend of Spock and a friend of Captain Pike. She's like, in some ways, uh, Captain Pike never left, she says. Well, because I'm getting the illusion that the Telosian, not the illusion, I'm getting the illusion with an A, not uh-huh. illusion with an I. Or delusion with a D. 
The Telosians have gotten me too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm getting the illusion that that the Telosians gave Vina the image that that Pike never left. Mm-hmm. That she's living with Pike, and like so, this is just the real Pike. But like, she's got her Pike, like who's basically making a picnic lunch so they can go out to that range and. <laughs> Exactly. Horses up in, <laughs> in that parkland. In uh, oh, where was it? Riadoso or somewhere? Someplace in New Mexico. Yeah, someplace in I thought California. Yeah, New Mexico, someplace. Yeah, somewhere out west. Anyway, southwest. Yep. Um. So we learn what's been wrong with Spock because of what's happened with the Red Angel. His uh, time is not linear in his brain anymore. It's it's not a linear construct. It's a fluid construct. And that sort of is what's messed up Spock's mind because it was one of his, uh, what did he call it at the end? One of his, uh, like, establishing thing. He lost logic, he lost time, and then he lost his emotions, he says at the end. So uh, this was one of his, like, foundations. That was the word I was looking for. And uh, once he lost that, that was it. He was done. So confused. So at this point, too, they asked to see the conflict between Burnham and Spock. And I thought, well, this is appropriate because this is something the Telosians would do, right? I mean, this is exactly what they were doing in the cage. You know, they wanted to keep Pike around because they wanted him to have real experiences and learn. They didn't know how to write stories or, you know, entertain themselves. So they kept they wanted to keep Pike around for that reason. And they want to use Burnham and Spock here for basically the same thing. Although this then does beg the question of why they ultimately help Spock and Burnham and don't just be like, well, you're stuck here now. Sorry, you must entertain us for the next 50 years. It's almost like, why well, let I them go? I think they probably realized, one, that, like, you, you can't because they're just going to, like, how, how long did it take interacting with Burnham before you're like, yeah, she's not going to submit? And the whole reason Spock is here because because he like broke out of a star brace metal and said he's not going to stay put either right and those <laughs> yeah. those uh telosians are like and he's going to think uh, let these two go because otherwise they're going to blow the place up but we will make them we will get a story out of them yeah maybe two they get two stories right they get the story of spock's escape yep. and they get the story of uh the breakup <laughs> yeah or, uh, you know, I, I mean, they also technically they got a third story because they got Spock going, you know, seeing from the Red Angel what happens to the uh, future, which is that uh, these cephalopods, as Tilly they calls get them, that. Uh, you know, we see them uh, going in and taking out Earth, taking out uh, uh, Vulcan and taking out uh, apparently and uh, and uh, oh, crap. The Andorians, wherever the Andorians are from. Andor. Oh, Andor. Well, of course, I could have made that up. So, yeah, so uh, (laughs) that's what he's been holding in his brain this whole time. That's what's been uh, pushing us. So we know that somehow the Red Angel is from this weird future where all humanity, intelligent life, apparently, has been wiped out. And uh, he's coming back to try and save the galaxy and save all intelligent life. And still be Picard. He could still be Picard. Yay! We My just thoughts didn't are realize still on. that 
we just didn't realize that the Picard show was going to be a dystopian. <laughs> like, Picard, Picard's alone. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we see how the Red Angel uh, told Spock where young Burnham was. We heard about that, but in this episode we actually saw it. But this begs yet another question, which is why does the Red Angel save Burnham? There's a real question for you, a real thinker. Because uh, obviously he feels that Burnham's got something to... Uh, to uh, do with uh, saving all of humanity. Or maybe it, it had to be Burnham who uh, saved Spock. It had to be Burnham to take him here to Talos and yeah, save the world. And those cephalopods from the future, they look just like the, uh, the one that attacked the ship, too, the, that was made from the probe. So that's an interesting uh, continuation of that. And we did get some nice, uh, you know, Shots over to, and I forget her name now, the the robot person who's been hacked. Yes, uh, Arium. Yeah. I mean, so obviously Arium is under the control of whatever, right? The the bad people robot monsters. Yes, yes, whatever they are. <laughs> so we finally see this moment where the breakup for lack of a better word, happens between Burnham and Spock. And uh, it's sad. (laughs) Ugh. Uh, You know, Spock is trying to get her to stay. He says, you are helping me come to terms with my human side. To continue to dissuade him, she says, that part of you is so small anyway, you might as well ignore it, it doesn't matter. And then even more sad, he says, I love you. Kill me. Uh, she says back, uh, you don't know how to love. And then, much like Kirk, who's gone against Spock a few times to try and convince him, like the end of This Side is Paradise, calls him a half-breed. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's like, uh, you know, if you watch the stuff, you know that's going to hurt him, right? Because mm-hmm. we've seen it happen in the past. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then why, and the fact that Kirk then uses it was like even more of a uh, punch to the gut. But I do now have one question, a possible mm-hmm. plot hole, maybe something that will be saved, or maybe it was, maybe you have a better answer for me. But she does get brought back to the house. Like, if this would have happened later in their life, maybe it would have, you know, caused a different thing to happen. But because she's so young, she goes back to the house. She's there at least another five, six years. Like, why doesn't she repair this relationship, you know? Right. It would have been a lot easier to be like, look, I was just saying that because I was worried about the logic extremists coming after you and blah, blah, blah. So you have to, you know, make yourself be tough and whatever, you know. Spock says that. He says you were trying to protect me because of uh, the whatever and. Yeah, the terrorists. You're young Spock, right? Yeah. And she's like, no, it's because you're totally a goofball. Although she doesn't call him a goofball. She calls him weird. She calls him yeah. a weird half-breed, is what she calls him. Um, all this, of course, does lead to a a bit of a, com- a catharsis for the two of them, right? While they haven't officially made up or anything, they certainly seem to be at a better place than they were at the beginning of this episode. Uh, I was thinking this would also be a good title for this episode, would it be Catharsis? Yeah, Because you've sure. got uh, Culber and Tyler, uh, Vina and Pike, all of these uh, cathartic things happening for all these people who need to work it out. Uh, Spock at the end, Spock thanks Burnham by saying, 
his humanity could have been a damage to him. And she says, no, your humanity was beautiful. Aw, it's great. It's about all I got written for the uh, for the, at least that part for Burnham and Spock. Anything else about that storyline you wanted to hit before we move on to uh, some of the other parts of this episode? No, just, you know, let's, let's proceed. And if, if I think yeah, oh, yeah, something yeah. comes up, let me know. All right. So um, early in the episode, Pike asks about Tyler and Burnham's relationships. Uh, which Tyler mostly admits to. He says, uh, you know, I had feelings for her. I think she had feelings for me, but things got crazy when uh, Voke came along. Uh, in, a, in a later scene, Pike and Tyler discuss, you know, basically Tyler in Section 31. Uh, Tyler basically tells him to, like, just trust whatever Burnham's going to do. She's going to find the right way to do these things. And, and he and says... That, well, that was the winning argument. Yeah. It's the thing. It's the one thing they have in common, right? Right. Is Burnham. They both think Burnham is a good officer, knows what she's doing. Uh, well, if you trust Burnham more than Section Thirty-One, then why are you with them? And uh, he says, "After what I've become, I can be a service there. I can be of service there." Bum bum bum. Doesn't really answer the question, though. Right. Uh. Saru tells Pike then about some unauthorized burst that was sent from the array. Uh, then suddenly the spore drive goes down. A couple of other weird things started happening. Obviously, this is Arian behind this, of course. But she's been using Tyler's command codes. Dun, dun, dun. So, of course, then Pike basically sends him down to the brig. So he is not around to uh, help out anymore when Section 31 comes a calling. Uh, I love the Section 31 stuff that happened in this. Uh, again, just, you know, Pike and Leland uh, with each other, dealing with each other. Uh, the misdirect at the end of Tyler and uh, Spock, not Tyler, Burnham and Spock down on the planet, uh, but actually taking the shuttlecraft and ending up on the uh, Section 31. That's great. It's funny, though, because I really feel like, and I've said this before and will continue to say it, that it really feels like Captain Georgiou is uh, using all of her... <laughs> political deafness that she uh in the mirror universe to uh, make her way up section 31 oh yeah yeah you know it's at the end of... quite Go disturbing <laughs> it is kind of disturbing yeah it's funny even at the end of this like after the switch happens she's like uh, oh yeah they uh, did this swap to me in the other universe so i bombed the planet and they're singing plants to oblivion You're like geez she's really cutthroat Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Speaking of Tyler, we also get uh, we also get the catharsis here for Culber when he uh, sees first he sees Tyler early on and then later confronts him and they uh, start to have a fight. Dun, 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 dun. And uh, Saru like just <laughs> basically like, nope, we got to let this happen. To which afterward, Pike was like, I don't know if that was the correct way to handle that. Certainly isn't following the guidelines. And then Saru's like, well, show me in the guidelines where we can deal with a uh, person who's come back to life and someone who's got like half of their body grafted on from Klingons. Yeah. And Pike is basically like, well, hey, then uh, uh, Pike is like, I have a feeling that you would have made a different decision <laughs> before your own metamorphosis happened. Let's just not handle anything like this again, all right? I'm giving this one a pass. I love that. 
But now talking about Stamets and Culber, uh, obviously they're both having a bad time of it. Culber specifically. I, I really like what they did with him in this episode. I feel like the way he was sort of describing what he was going through really pulled me into what was what was happening to him. I could almost like feel it. Right. You know? um, uh, it's like he eats the food. He says he has memory of it, but he, it doesn't connect to anything. And then what a weird feeling that must be. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. During their fight, poor Stamets is like, uh, well, why are you mad at me? And Culber says, I don't even know. It's perfect. Well, and he does know you you keep making me want to feel things. Yeah, that I don't feel. Right. And so that's kind of an awkward. You want to love this food that I used to eat. I can't love this food. I can't love you. <laughs> it's like, I'm not used to, I'm not, I'm not that version of me anymore is basically how it ends up. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's, it's a sad like we've rescued you, and now it turns out you're not the person we thought we were rescuing. You just look like him. Yeah. Well, I think it's a little more than that, but yeah, I, I, I honestly—it seems like it's a physical thing that's happening to him more than like a mental thing. Because he says, in, "Go ahead." I feel like it's both. Yeah, maybe. But it really feels like because because you know she says a couple episodes ago the doctor says to him, like, uh, you know, you're just getting used to your new nervous system. Your new nervous system is getting used to being you. It's like, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? So everything is sort of like, it's like, uh, it just doesn't have the same attachment to nostalgia, <laughs> you know? Right, <laughs> it doesn't right. have the same attachment to, oh, well, yeah, I used to love spaghetti, but now it's like, this is just spaghetti now, you know? Uh, everything he's seeing sort of has a darker edge to it. You know, there's that earlier scene when they're walking around and he's like, oh, this probably looks pretty familiar. He's like, more or less, you know. So we have the big fight between Culver and Tyler. And uh, uh, Culver says to him, I don't know who I am anymore. And Tyler's like, who do you think you're talking to? It's like this great little thing of like, okay, they're kind of going through the same thing in a very different way. <laughs> But at the core, it's kind of the same thing. I don't know who I am anymore after this big change to my, you know, this big evolution almost. To which then Culver, uh, you know, says like, hey, why don't you, or Stamets basically says, uh, hey, why don't you come home, back home with me? And Culver's like, doesn't feel like home anymore. Please move forward because I have to, too. He just has to get used to everything, you know, give him some space. Uh, we also get a little disobedience at the end from uh, Captain Pike, right? Who's decided, like, to do what Spock says and run. He's like, lads, we got to get out of here. Uh, and, you know, at first he's like, all right, crew, I just want to let you know that if anybody... And right away, Detmer's like, uh, what course heading, sir? Until he's like, yeah, I really think we should get out of here. Like, now. Yeah. So, uh, so that's fun. So we're going to have them on the run for the next couple episodes, I'm sure. And from the trailer for next week, we also... It looks like Arium finally... Uh, comes to a head and we get that part of the storyline taken care of, it looks like. <laughs> this may be also why we're not allowed to have robots on the ship anymore. <laughs> Till data. I can, I can totally see why that would be a problem. Yes, exactly. And just watching this episode, this is not a... Things are working out for the best. This is a... It's a vulnerability. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um... Uh, all of that to say, the writing on this episode was, like, spot on. It was so good. The scene with Stamets and Culber was really good. Uh, all of the Spock stuff was amazing. Um, I just, I, the writing 
especially on this episode, was so great. I haven't quoted so much of the episode since we were doing the old recaps back in the day. All right. A couple of quick review stuff, Thought things I thought were interesting on IGN. They gave it a nine. All right. He says, um, uh, he wraps up his review by saying, with If Memory Serves, Star Trek Discovery walks a tightrope, providing a modern piece of television in line with what the show itself is and what current audiences expect while also co- connecting directly to one of the most famous recognizable episodes of Star Trek from over 50 years ago. That it does it so successfully and entertainingly is almost too good to be true. I was like, all right, that's a nice little recap on this episode. I agree with it 100%. Now, with that said, one of Discovery's, like, one of Discovery's cheerleaders who uh, we've been reading reviews of on Den of Geek is Katie Burt, but she gave this episode only two out of five stars. Here was uh, part of her problem with it. She said, one of the most refreshing aspects of Star Trek, of the Star Trek universe, is its general aversion to the Chosen One narrative. In a culture increasingly overrun by the idea that one person should or could have the power to shape the world, Star Trek has always given us a more nuanced, realistic, and collective model of how Utopia might come back and stick around. She continues by saying, If memory serves, and much of the Spock-centric season two storytelling, unfortunately bucks this 50-year tradition to offer a Chosen One-esque story of Spock, one that Burnham, the supposed main character of the show, must contort to fit into. Thought that was a very interesting but different take on what uh, how she saw this episode. Yeah, so I think it it really comes down to is is this just um, is this really the work of the Red Angel? And Spock isn't the chosen one. Spock is just involved, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and Burnham too. I mean, we don't know. Obviously, the Red Angel saved Burnham for a reason. So there's right. uh, she's still got a bigger part of this story. Yeah. So there's. There's that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I, it doesn't feel Star Trek-y. So, like, in my whole list of, uh, and I, when I used to teach, you know, mm-hmm. 18th century uh, stuff, I would do this, this romanticism is and uh, the Enlightenment is, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would talk about all the ways they're different in their values. And I would show, you know, landscape pictures from the middle of the 18th century and landscape pictures from the early 19th century, right? And landscape pictures in the 18th century were bright and sunny. And landscape pictures in the early 19th century often had a storm in them or like, you know, a, a ship being tossed on the waves. And this is, of course, the beautiful versus the sublime. But one of the differences that I would talk about is that Star Trek is an Enlightenment document, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the differences is that when you get into trouble, there are people to call on. There's an organization, Starfleet. There's the Federation, right? You're not by yourself. Whereas in Star, Star Wars, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Right. right? There's, there's one person who can you know, save this situation, and they're probably kind of magical. And so, yeah, you you don't want to give that up in Star Trek. I, mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I don't feel like watching it that, oh, they've gone for the Chosen One narrative. I right. think now that she's pointed it out, I see it. But, you know, it wasn't something that I was like, what are they doing? This isn't Star Trek. 
right. until up until this moment. So, well, and again, too, we've got the whole second half of the season basically for you know the rest of the story to unfold. Six more right. episodes, mm-hmm. so you know anything could happen. And again, and as we probably said, will, and probably will. Uh, so on TrekCore, which uh, I've really started enjoying their uh, their reviews of the show, because, of course, they deep dive. They're like, we're TrekCore. We're going to deep dive into some of this stuff. So um, I have a couple of different quotes from him, but here's one. Discovery appears to be sketching out a broader arc for the Spock character that ties into classic Trek. Rejected by Burnham as a child, Spock eschewed his human side. His later relationship with Kirk and McCoy... Therefore, and the assistance they give him in becoming more comfortable and accepting his human heritage becomes even more meaningful. Kirk helps to fix Burnham's mistake, or at least that's yeah. how it looks at this point. I totally feel that that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think you even said something similar last week, but I was I like, did. oh, this too is perfectly articulated. Uh, let's see. Here's another one. Okay, I've said similar things, but uh, obviously this episode helps bring it around as a, as and he does it again more beautifully than I could, uh, partially because it's written and I'm just talking off the top of my head. He writes, the Pike of the Cage was at such a different place in his life and had a bit of a different personality. That as much as I have been lo- absolutely loving uh, Anson Mount's Pike, it just didn't feel like the same character. However, this episode does a lot to wipe that away. As from the very first shot, we see Pike brooding from his experiences on Talos IV. And when Vina appears to him, we see the complicated emotion that Hunter's Pike displayed in the cage. Love, lust, anger, confusion. Even though Pike was largely ancillary to the events of this episode, he was still important for his character in helping us see the character's evolution from the Enterprise's first encounter with Talos IV three years prior. So I thought that was really cool. I was like, yep, nope, that's exactly what I've been saying. And I agree with him. This episode helped turn it around. <clears throat> he's been purposely putting on a different face. Well, he's also got like a, um, you know, like a particular mission in this. He's got a crew that was, you know, where their captain had betrayed them, right? Uh-huh. And... So on the one hand, he's got this Red Angel mission. On the other hand, he's got to take a crew that had been betrayed by their captain and right. kind of work with them and get them to believe. And I, I think he was into that mission. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was. a. I think I that was something he could do. Yeah, he was good at that stuff. Okay. Uh, The last thing he writes, which is uh, brilliant, was viewers are entirely free to quibble with any aspect of this show and the story being told. But I think that there's one thing that we cannot dispute after this episode. This entire production, from the writer staff to the production crew, demonstrate their love for Star Trek and they honor the franchise's history. After all, we wouldn't be back at Talos IV if we didn't. Or if they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. Well, that's it. That's all the notes I got on this episode. Uh, again, anything else uh, we didn't hit? Anything else you want to mention? Nope, I think we're good. I think we're good, too. Uh, lots of fun stuff in this episode. This was such a good episode. This is probably, so far for me, the highlight of this season. It, it was super good. Dealt with a lot of like very complicated emotions, almost. Uh, but in such a way that was like, okay, yep, nope, I'm buying all of this. I love it. And obviously, the return to Talos was just like the butter on top (laughs) cream the whipped cream 
on the well, you know, hot there's chocolate. A, there's a certain, there's a lot of fun when they go back to Jabba the Hutt's palace and Tatooine. You know, we get cute comments like, uh, you know, I was born here. You're going to die here. You know? Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Coming back to Tatooine had a lot of that fun to it, right? Yeah. And so it's fun to, it's, it is fun to go back. Yeah, it was the great. Audience, we know where we're at. Or we, we feel like we have a a guidepost. We're not lost. We're not like, where where are we? I've never heard of this place before. Yeah. Everyone else seems to know where we're at but me. Which is typical of how these things work. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wonder how many viewers, you know, had no idea what the cage was and were, you know, sort of thrown off by it. But we had that great last time on Star Trek. <laughs> That's also true. Well, at least we'll send them to go watch that episode, perhaps. Yep. After all, if they've got all access, they can watch it all they like. All right, Actually, well, that's it. This I week... don't think it's on all access. Oh, really? No, I think oh. I, I've, I had to buy it on Amazon. Wow. I know it's on Netflix, because that's where I watched it. Interesting. All right. Well, that wraps up another great episode of uh, The Brothers Trek About. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We are currently on Stitcher Radio. We are currently on Apple Podcasts. We are currently, we just found out, on Google Play. Isn't that exciting? Lots of other places you'll be able to find us soon, I promise. We're also on the YouTubes every once in a while when I can uh, upload a video and it doesn't take six hours for it to upload. Then it'll be up there and that'll be exciting too. Well, anyway, I'm Matt coming to you from Austin and coming from Planet Houston is my brother Ken. Say goodbye, Ken. Say goodbye, Spock. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we will see everybody next week I almost feel like we should re-record that ending <laughs> <laughs>